The entire chapter is important and critical. I just offer three verses in our text. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now, Lord, I pray that you would continue to do what you have endeavored from the start of this service. Let the Shekinah glory of the Most High God envelop every person that's in this building and those that are unable to be here. Let ministering spirits go forth into every home and let there be a resounding noise and desperate cry from your people to receive all that you have and let us today set the atmosphere in order so that you can do your divine work in Jesus' name. Now just lift up your voices together and your hearts and your hands and I want you just to cry out to God. If you'll do that, in the name of Jesus we pray. Exercise your voice right now every believer in this house if you believe that Jesus is Lord lift up your voice and say Jesus you are Lord now be the Lord of my life and the Lord of this house hallelujah Savior Jesus amen and you may be seated but you must be clapping when you go down and clap your hands unto the Lord Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Come on, do that one more time. Clapping your hands unto the Lord our God. Ah. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, he, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not, but... I'm sorry, he, he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
John writes in retrospect, the moments of this self-titled book, the gospel according to John, has already taken place. When John wrote his book, Jerusalem had long since been destroyed. The disciples, all of them, had already been murdered, martyred, if you will. He is now trapped on an island prison called Patmos, and he's looking back with both a clear eye to what had happened and also under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. John writes of Jesus, he came into his own, but they did not receive him. It was a familiar pattern of the Jewish, Jewish aristocrats and those whom they influenced. They saw his mighty miracles, the Lord's grasp of the Torah and the wisdom and works, which even Nicodemus said, you must have come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. But many rejected him. Even his own hand-picked disciples, though they were a motley crew, they too had times when it was tough to understand the Lord's judgment. They believed for a moment that they personally owned him or they owned the Messiah. He belonged to them, the children of Abraham, the descendants of the original covenant, the greater community of Jews scoffed at the thought of Gentile inclusion. I, I wish it was just the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but even his own neighbors rejected him, to which Jesus said, and I paraphrase, a prophet has no honor in any place except in his own country and not among his own people. He, he can have honor in all these places, but he does not have honor among his own people. Everywhere I go, the Lord said, people receive me. They believe in me. They open their arms to me, and I perform the impossible among them. But when I come back home, there is no honor and there is no faith, and I'm bound by the lack of it so that I cannot perform what I want to perform here. I can do it there, but I can't do it here. And he could do, here's your Bible, no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. It was a minimal work, not his best, certainly not in abundance, the least of it. They tied up his hands. They confined him. The familiarity with him restricted the motion of his miracle. They said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I know of no more debilitating offense than that. Jesus could not and would not do what was possible because they thought they knew who he was. And the result was far less than what it should have been, just a few sick folk. The left held on to their offense rather than being healed and delivered and that is the epitaph of every dying congregation to embrace an offense rather than be delivered. Isn't this the carpenter? Yes, Jesus was that. Isn't Mary your mother? Yes, Jesus was his mother. Your brothers, James, Joseph, maybe Joseph Jr., Judas, Simon, aren't these your sisters? Yes, well, on my mother's side, but yes. 
Didn't you grow up here? We've seen you. We've known you. Don't get us wrong. What you said in the synagogue, the teaching, we were amazed. The Bible, the Bible says that, that while he taught, they said, where did this man get these things? Where, what's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does these miracles? But at the end, they could not get past the common. They knew him, and Jesus knew it. He knew that there was this inherent judgment in the Jewish people. They had tainted the environment where his miracle could be displayed, but it was not in full. Read your Bible. Jesus never marveled at the faith of any Jewish man or woman. But that Roman centurion who said, Master, all you have to do is speak the word. I'm a man under authority. Lord, I'm a Roman legionnaire. And I say to this man, go here and do this and do that. And and he does it. No questions asked. And Lord, my servant is sick. He's back home. You don't have to go there. Just speak the word and he will be healed. Here's verse 10 of Matthew 8, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say to you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Israel had tradition. They had festivals of order and significance. They had Purim, limitations on food and diet and conduct and, yes, clothing. They had the law of Moses and the stories of the Red Sea. They had ten plagues, the walls of Jericho, Jacob's vision at Bethel, David's defeat of Goliath, and a thousand more. But they did not have honor and they did not have faith. I hope you're hearing this this morning. They had ceremony and they had custom. But it wasn't enough to set them free. And it is no wonder to me that Jesus went to speak to the woman at the well only after his disciples went to buy food. He could not have done what needed to be done had his disciples been present. Their pride and their prejudice would have polluted the soil where the seed of revelation needed to grow. We'll come to find out. That Jesus was there to plant the seeds of who he was and the coming gospel. That's why he was there. Jesus, the river of life, sat at an old well and he said, If you only knew, woman, who was it that was asking you for a cup of water, you would ask of him and he would give you living water. She said, You don't even have a cup or a pot. And Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is pouring out and her heart is wide open. But the work that was being done was absent of the 12 disciples They could not be present for this kind of work to be done. In fact, upon their return, they were bewildered that Jesus even talked to that woman. But no one was brave enough to ask, what are you doing wasting your time with her? Or what do you do talking to a biracial Gentile Jew? They thought it. They had the look of it on their face. John even indicted himself along with the others. But they were not ready to know the totality of the kingdom because they never thought that anyone else could be brought into the kingdom. They thought it was theirs exclusively. And while he came into his own, his own rejected him. His own received him not. But as many as received him, 
To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 1.13, children born, not of natural descent. didn't matter how they, how they were born. There was no prerequisite of their bloodline, nor of human decision or, of, or, or a husband's will. But they were born of God. It did not come through the natural means, but as many as received him. Paul would later write, and I love this, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Because as many as received him, he'll give them power to become the sons of God. You can receive him or you can reject him. It is not up to him. It is up to you. The church can be explosive and powerful. It is not up to God. It is up to, it is up to us. He has already given us all the means and the power. As many as receive him, he will give us power to become the sons of God. But at that time, with food in their hands, watching Jesus minister to this Samaritan woman, they were oblivious, faithless, they were judgmental, and it disturbed them to see him talking to her. That's why Jesus waited until they were out of sight. He waited until they were in the town before he sat down to talk with a woman. He knew that the seeds planted that day were both for her and the whole town. And they would become the harvest field in Samaria in years to come. Let me read it to you. This happened about 12 years later. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Paul, which Philip spake, rather, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and those that were lame, and they were healed. There was great joy in the city. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, there was revival in Samaria, they sent down Peter and John. Why? Because Philip could not handle the amount of people that were coming. Who? Peter and John. When they were come down, pray for them for they might receive the Holy Ghost for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only all of them were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John and Philip laid their hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That revival in Samaria began the day that the disciples went to the city and bought food so that Jesus could have a moment to reveal himself to a woman who had been married five times. He needed them to be gone. He needed them out. They could not see Acts chapter 8. They could only see the inappropriateness of a Jewish rabbi speaking to a woman of Samaria. They were immature and I dare say ignorant. They were shallow men. Peter led the bunch. They all followed Peter's word. He was bold and probably the eldest among them. And when Jesus spoke of his impending death, look in your scripture. He spoke of the crucifixion, how we'd have to suffer and to die. Peter looked at the Lord and said, don't talk like this, Lord. This can never happen to you. And the Lord turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savest not. You are an offense to me. You don't know the things of God, but you just know the things of men. Huh. Grow up, Peter. You are temporal. You remind me of Satan. Get behind me. You think like a man full of flesh. Thou art an offense to me. Peter had some work to do, ladies and gentlemen. He needed some education, and Jesus did not spare him the embarrassment. 
Because the salvation of mankind was on the line. The lives of countless millions hung in the balance as Jesus hung on the cross. The enactment of the Old and the New Testament were contingent upon the death of what the book of Hebrews calls the testator. Nothing was in force until the death of Jesus Christ. All the promises, provisions, wonders, prophecies were held at bay until and unless the lamb was slain. The great wonders, both large and small, needed room to grow. They needed an atmosphere to flourish and become what they were meant to be. So go look at it. The 12 disciples and many others were at the house of Jairus. His daughter had died. The mourners were there. They were already crying with tears. They had seen death. They knew the little girl had died. They felt her cold, lifeless, stiffening frame. Her eyes and the blue eyelids were already growing in, 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 in different colors the signs of a quickly decaying body but Jesus walked in with faith he said it's not over here's the next line and they laughed him to scorn doubt came in the form of mockery their disbelief flagrant disposition corrupted the atmosphere and I know that some people think it doesn't matter Jesus thought it matters on the day of Pentecost they were all with one accord and he needed that house to be in one accord unity ladies and gentlemen matters togetherness matters Here's the Bible. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. One mind, one heart, one purpose, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all and through all and in you all. I wonder what would happen if the atmosphere of this house was with one accord and we all came in one place. I wonder what would happen if you put your phones down and got in tune with the Spirit. I wonder what would happen if you came into the sanctuary already praying and asking God to move in the Holy Ghost. I wonder what would happen if the, if the praise team didn't just lead us into worship, but we were already there and we just joined them in praising God. What could God do here if we all thought that it mattered? Huh? But unity in one place and in one accord, it takes a lot of selflessness. It takes the absence of an opinionated people. And we have all been taught the way of Americanism that our personal perspective matters most of all. I want to stand and say, no, it does not. His, his opinion, his word, his voice matters more than anything else. One place and one accord. It takes a tremendous amount of humility between us. To be in unity, you have to be humble. If we want unity, you'll have to be humble. It takes kingdom-minded people who care more about what is best for the church than what is best for themselves. Before you do anything in your personal life, just know that you cannot compartmentalize what you do on Monday than what you proclaim on Sunday. Solomon painted the picture. Did you read the Bible? Two mothers arguing over one baby. In the night, two mothers, brand new babies. One baby died. The grieving mother went over in the night and stole someone else's infant baby. And no one could decipher the ownership. There was no DNA test. There was no way to know. It was just motherhood. And so finally, after a little bit of debate, Solomon called for the sword to cut that one baby in half. I'll give one half of the baby to you and one half the baby to you. That's when the real mama cried out, give the baby to her. 
but don't kill the baby. I would suffer loneliness and loss for the rest of my life rather than see the baby harmed. I would rather suffer the injustice of a lifetime than to get my way and cut the baby in half. I'm going to ask you, what about the church? You want to get your way? So you're going to post some nonsense on Facebook and demean and belittle the saints of God and the leadership of the church because you're angry? You're hurting the kingdom. Grow up. I'm talking to you. If you're so bold to put it on Facebook, I'll be bold enough to stand here and say, it's time for you to get yourself in order. You are an offense to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know who you expected to grace this pulpit today, but I'm not here to play games. I'm here to have an atmosphere where there can be apostolic authority and power. We better get this right because there are lives on the line and there are people that need to be saved and there are children that need to be rescued and there are prodigals that need a place to come back to. Oh, no, but that's not how some folks think. They think, hey, listen, I've got a right to speak my mind. I don't like how things are going. Why don't you learn how to swallow that for the sake of the church instead of cutting the church in half? I want unity in one place and one accord, and I want to see God do some things. He wants to do it, but he's limited by the atmosphere that we set. There's about five or six of you that wished I was still on the catamaran. But as many as received him. Listen, I've preached now almost 25 years here. You can receive it or reject it. But if you receive it, he'll give you power. Not because I said it, but because he said it. This is what we have to do. We have to reset the atmosphere. I know that this might disturb your sensibilities, but it's not up to God. He's already given us the Holy Spirit. It's up to us. If selflessness and humility and kindness and passion and pathos and prayer exist... This one thing I know, he will not move in the midst of a grumbling, complaining people who care more about their image than they do about the church body. Go read your Bible. He was angry with the complaining people after all he had done. And he said to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses stood in the way. They didn't even know. He stood as an intercessor and said, listen, if you take them, take me. God said, just move aside, Moses. I'll start over. Moses said, listen. Lord, please change your mind. And he interceded for the half the people because all they could do is complain about this and that and all the stuff. And they forgot all the things that God had done for them. And they were wondering about the present. Let me tell you, God has your life in his hands. He has the church in his hands. He never left you. He never forsook you. He never turned his back on you. You ought to just praise God. And when you don't have much, you thank God. And when you have a little, you thank God. And when you have a lot, you thank God. And when you have victory, you thank God. And when you're defeated, you thank God. This is a hard word for the American church. 
Because affluency has killed us. We don't know. We don't know. We think the rest of the world is living like we're living. This is not true. You've been afforded the greatest opportunity of your lifetime this morning to walk into this house and to be saturated with the power and the love of the Almighty God. And if we could just put ourselves aside for a moment and begin to magnify Him in humility, preferring one another and set the atmosphere, there'll be an apostolic explosion like we've never seen before. He wants to do it. He wants to do it. The Bible says, they laughed him to scorn. But when he put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. Jesus had to reset the room for the miracle to take place. He was changing the tenor of the atmosphere. He could have no room for doubt. There was no place for private wandering. Hear me. There was no place for criticism. No questions from the elect. He put them all out. And he said, okay, Peter, you get to come. James, John, come in. Mom, dad, that's it. Everybody else out. I don't have any time to mess around with people who are going to doubt, complain, fold their arms, and criticize. They said this little girl's dead, but I'm going to do something here. And what I'm going to do is going to take some moment. And I don't want to be interrupted by the atmosphere. Don't tie up my hands. Because Jesus refused to work in a place where the people did not believe him and would not receive him. He came, but they did not believe and they did not receive. But as many as received him. Now listen, in my own Mind and heart, I grieve. Three years, I, I woke up at 3.30 every morning. I grieved over losses. And about, I don't know, five or six months ago, the Lord gave me a vision, reminding me of the grotesque spirits that hovered around a few folks that left. He reminded me of a vision that I saw on a 40-day fast when I saw dark clouds hovering over the heads of some of the people who are no longer here. And then the Lord said, I never would have given you this had you retained those dark clouds and those spirits. Because I had to move people out to get people in. You don't want to hear that because you're attached from your own flesh. Some of you have pity on people who have destroyed the gospel and the kingdom. When really you should have stood up and said, no, not here. It's okay. You're still patronizing. I've tried to help you, but, but he can do no mighty miracle because you're still toying around with things you ought not 
But I'm going to come here today. I'm going to preach this. And as many as receive it, he's going to give you extraordinary power. But if you don't receive it, hey, that's up to you and God. Go ahead and live mediocre. Live like that. But I'm going to tell you, there's another way. There's another side. There's another power. There's another Holy, Holy Ghost level. There's an apostolic authority. In the room, in the house, when the doubters were gone, Jesus turned and he took the damsel by the hand, this cold, stiff hand, and he said unto her, Telethikumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Rise. Now the atmosphere is right. I wanted to do a lot of miracles in my own hometown. I wanted to do a lot of wonderful things, but you belittled me. You put me down as a commoner. You said, we know who you are. Isn't your mama here with us? Aren't you a carpenter? Didn't you sell us some tables and chairs? Didn't you repair something? But what you thought was, I'm just an ordinary man. Now, we like your teaching. It's amazing stuff. We get excited about what you're doing in the synagogue. But, but really, you're out of bounds, and we're offended that you think you've all of that. And the moment he, they did that, Jesus said, a prophet has no honor. I have no honor here. I got honor there, but I don't have honor here. And he could do no great thing. Why? Because the people had confined him to familiarity. And they said, we know who you are, and we don't really honor you and respect you. And he marveled at their unbelief because you think that a lack of miracles is a lack of faith. He thinks a lack of miracles is a lack of honor. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to reset the atmosphere. I'm cleaning all of that out because I've got a great thing to do. In the end, in the end time church, I'll tell you what the end time church is going to be. It's going to, it's going to be a church that's had unity in one place and in one accord. And people are going to come and they're going to be hungry for God. And he's going to start separating this one and that one saying, you're, you're, a, you're a hindrance to the, to the kingdom. Listen, I know of a few, good, I know a few churches that are, that are just three or four funerals away from having a revival. Some folks are so stuck in their ways and rebellious. God wants to move, but he can't do a real thing. He wants to do the great thing. But there's so much doubt and dishonor, unbelief and familiarity. They just said, hey, we've been here before. We've, we've come here before. What are you talking about? Jesus wants to do something amazing and incredible in your life. And one of those churches in the south, the pastor told me he was at the pulpit and he was preaching. And, and, and he said there was a man in the back of the church and he had a tumor inside of him. And the doctor said, we think it's inoperable. It won't come out. It's attached to all of your organs. And while he was preaching, he said there was such unity in the small church. They probably had about 100 people that night, but it was packed out. And the man in the back row started to cough real loud. And he's the man with the tumor. Everyone got nervous, but they were just worshiping, praising God. 
God. And, and the pastor said, just raise your hands. The man coughed. He said to his wife, get, give me some handkerchiefs. And she got out her handkerchief and he started to cough. He coughed up the tumor out of his, out of his mouth. And, 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 and it was not a pretty sight. But there was no surgery needed because when you get in unity, things start happening you didn't think could ever happen. I want to stand here and say, there's more. There's more. God can do more. He can do more. We had a, a installation service in February of 2000. And um, Brother Mooney preached the installation service. But that Sunday, I think it was a Sunday or Sunday night, Pastor Stark came and preached. We didn't have a lot of folks and we were trying to garnish goodwill among the people. And this was my pastor's sermon to the crowd at, the, at that moment. <laughs> I was cringing. Oh, I was thinking, oh, Pastor. Anything but that one. I had heard him preach so many good sermons. Anyone but that one. This is what he preached. Get in, get out, or get run over. <laughs> Man. At the shortest tenure in the history of Pentecost. We're packing tomorrow. Pastor preached, get in, get out, get run over. If he didn't say it, he said it one time, a hundred times, at the end of almost every paragraph, get in. And if you know Pastor Stark, he's got big eyebrows, and he's always on the verge of having an aneurysm right, right through there. I've been the recipient and the cause of some of it. And he looked and he said, who was there that night? Tim Wetnight, you remember every sermon. That's why I can't repeat my sermons. You're making me angry. He said to us, Tim, get in, get out, or get run over. There's going to be an apostolic church here. I'm just going to tell you, if you can't keep up with the horsemen, with the foot soldiers, you're never going to keep up with the horsemen. You might as well get in and get out or get run over because we're going forward. There will be an apostolic church on this corner. There will be something happening here. There's going to be a power. People will be delivered. I just want to say to every discouraged heart, get up. You will be healed and you will be healthy. I want to say to every drug addict, everyone who's hooked on Marijuana, cocaine, crack, heroin. I want to say, in Jesus' name, we're coming for that demon. And we're going to bind that demon in Jesus' name. Every alcoholic, God's going to set them free. He's going to remove that addiction from their life. I'm not done. Everyone who's hooked on prescription drugs, I want to tell you, God can take that away from you, and he can make you healthy, and he can make you whole. (laughs) 
I say to thee, get up, arise up, get up in the name of Jesus Christ. I say to thee, get up. You know that spirit that gets on you? Self-defeating, no one cares. Feeling like you're alone in a big crowd. That's the devil. That's the work of the darkness of the devil. You're in the best place, the right place. You ought never leave your place. But you will be tested. You're going to be tested from the people, from your family, from the atmosphere. You will be tried. So don't think it's unusual. Paul wrote, don't think it's unusual when you go through a fiery trial. As is some strange thing, the closer you get to the end time, the more trials you're going to have. I say into that spirit, get out of this place. I say that spirit of discouragement, do not afflict the people of God. I rebuke that thing off of your life. Now, I can't rebuke the spirit of criticism because that's flesh. One time, Brother Billy Cole, who was a prophet, came to a church. And the pastor leaned over to Brother Cole and said, Brother Cole, you see that woman back there? She got a bad spirit. And Brother Cole said, if that is a demonic spirit, we're going to rebuke that thing, and in 30 seconds it will be gone. The pastor said, oh, God. Brother Cole said, hold on a second. But if it's flesh, it'll take you 30 years. I can't rebuke flesh because you decided to be ugly. You got a choice to receive him or reject him. If you decide to be ugly and indifferent and cold and carnal, that's your choice. You can't rebuke someone from being carnal and it come out of them. We got to have a spiritual move of God. It's going to take a spiritual congregation. It's going to take an atmosphere of people who love God, who yearn for God, so that people can be set free, so that you can be set free. Oh, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right here today. God's going to do some great thing. There's going to be, hey, cancer is no different than God, than a headache. God doesn't look at a cancer cell and say, that's a, that's a, that's a big time miracle. He didn't think that's anything. He, he died in pain for the headache and the cancer and the liver disease and the back pain. Hey, what is it that you need? What what is it that you want from the Lord? He's a good, good father. (laughs) Oh, are are you struggling with sin? You think you're not worthy because you've been sin? Let me just tell you, he's a better savior than you are a sinner. Because the Bible says... The Bible says he saves to the uttermost. Woo! He's going to save the sinner. All you've got to do is reach out. You don't know me, Pastor. You don't know what I've done. You don't know all the skeletons in my closet. I don't know them, but I know about the blood of the Lamb who restores and heals and sets free. 
the apostolic, just keep standing, the apostolic environment, the apostolic atmosphere, this is what we're longing for because one miracle is greater than every Facebook post, every digital sign. We couldn't hang enough banners on every door of our city that would do more work than one person healed. Brother Jamie Leal, I don't know where you're at, but I saw you. Brother Jamie, let's get everybody we can. You're going to those places. You're helping the people. You're developing a relationship. Keep doing that. Don't stop doing that, Brother Jamie. Don't stop. Listen, you're a soul winner. You're going to get all the soul winners, and we're going to reach people. But I also know, and you're going to agree with me, when people are blind, when blinded eyes are open, and lame feet are walking, and cancer is removed, and, and all the miracles of God, we'll never be able to replace that. I'm almost done. Uh, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. If people want to say, well, well how, how can be saved? Obey the gospel. Well, okay, what is that? The gospel is repent. According to Paul, repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Here, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can read it in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said, I want to remind you of the gospel, how that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. Well, how do I obey the gospel? I repent, that's death, burial, and baptism. There's the baptismal over there, water baptism. Jesus was baptized for an example. And then what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's the, it's the infilling. God gives it to you. When you receive it, you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. That's what they knew. Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 10, and right in the middle of his sermon, the people began to speak with other tongues and receive the Holy Ghost. And, and, and this is what Peter said. Can we forbid water who have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Here's the next line. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how we know. It's an outward sign of the inward manifestation of the Spirit. But the gospel does not come alone. Because the Bible says he was confirming the gospel with signs and miracles following the confirmation that what we're preaching is true comes through the miracle and the sign following. Because when you have a miracle, no one can speak against the miracle. Go to John chapter 9. They walk by. There's that man blind. Lame, brother. He's lame. And who sinned that this man was born this way? Jesus said, no one sinned, but that the glory of God might be man manifest in him. And the man was healed. He was blindness. I've got to get the miracle right. He was blindness. <laughs> now, the Pharisees didn't like that because they liked tradition and order. And they liked ceremony, pomp and circumstance and things of that nature where everyone's just appropriate. They want rationale, humanistic thought. And they started to question his parents. They said, who did this? Parents are nervous because they don't want to be cast aside because the Pharisees have a lot of power. They were discrediting Jesus. Finally, they asked the blind man, what happened? He said, I don't know. They said, well, he's a sinner. Jesus is a sinner. And the blind man said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I do know, I'm not going to give you any room to discredit him. 
Let me just talk about myself. I was blind. But now I see. Here's the next line. Here's the next line. They discredited the, 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 the name of Jesus and discredited him the best they could. But as for the blind man, they could say nothing against it. Because when someone is healed, come on now. When someone's healed, it's going to fill up that whole section right there. And when someone else is healed, it's going to fill up that section right there. And when someone else is delivered, it's going to fill up that section right there. And the next person in your family that's delivered, it's going to, no room is going to be at the altar. Now we're going to do this right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Help me. Forgive me, Lord, of my foul spirit, my tongue, my thoughts that are contrary to the unity of the body. Forgive me, Lord, of doubt and criticism. I pray, Lord, wash me. You help Peter get out of his mess. Lord, you rebuked him, but then you brought him back in and set him up as the preacher. So I pray right now for all of our hearts. Help us to be selfless and have great humility and think about the body. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the atmosphere for miracles and signs and the confirmation of the gospel might be known in this house in Jesus' name. As many as received it. He came into his own. Not everybody got it. But as many as wanted today. As many as wanted today. You can get the power. Not everybody's going to receive it. But if you want it, you can have it today. Come on, repent. You got to repent. You got to ask God to forgive you of all that stuff. You've been talking too much. You've been doubting too often. Set the atmosphere right now. Set the atmosphere right now. Clean my heart, Lord. Clean my life, Lord. Clean my spirit, Lord. I want to have an atmosphere where anything is possible. Let there be an apostolic atmosphere in this house. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.